let's stand and sing to him together. Alright, here we go, we've waited. We've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire. Show us your glory. 
our prayer today, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would show us your glory, make your face to shine upon us, God. May we feel your presence ever so clearly here today. God, may we be reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness to us, because you are such a good and faithful God. May we not be distracted by the things that surround us, the things that, that cloud our minds, God, but may we have such a clear picture of you as we worship you today. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wound, his hands, his feet, my Savior, that cursed tree. His body bowed, his body bowed, and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. By heavy soul, Messiah still, and all of the Lord. Let's praise Him today.
Watch and pray, find in me that all in all. Paid it off. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as his snow. Lord now Lord now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's thoughts and melt the heart of Life. 
it all and all to Him I owe. Sin I left to crimson stain. He washed to white Just be still and let that sink in for a minute. Ask yourself, is that where your heart's at today? Do you truly believe that you owe everything to him? Because we do every good thing, every blessing is not of our own doing. It's from him. And what an incredible opportunity we have today to get just a little taste of heaven and worship the king of kings and raise him up in all of his glory. Just in your heart right now, wherever, wherever you're at, I want you to, I encourage you to just begin thanking the Lord for the good things that he's placed in your life. Especially if you're in a season right now of darkness and a season of struggle, I want you to intentionally step past that and choose in this moment to give God glory because he deserves it. Even if that's the only reason why you choose to worship today, because he is worthy of it. Choose to worship him today. Thank you, God.
Join me as we pray, God. Uh, there is a sense that what we just got to do is a piece of what we get to do for eternity. Um, what does it look like, God, for us to be in your presence and to worship you? And so, Lord, uh, just unite us. Unite us as a family that we would come together at this gathering point weekly to be able to receive and pour out our praise to you and then from here to go out. Um, Lord, we thank you for this time. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Uh, there is something powerful and something awesome about what we get to do here on Sunday mornings. And I just want to challenge us. Um, something that takes place Sunday evenings at our house, we have for our marriage, for our family, we do a family business meeting. There is the business of what takes place in our family. And so we talk about what's our schedule this week and what are we eating and do we have enough money to do all this stuff. And, and so we work through that. And, and so just for the next couple of minutes, I just want to talk. This is family time. This is stuff that I want us to think about and think through. And there, there's this temptation when my alarm goes off at five in the morning to press snooze and I'd rather stay in bed than go work out. There's another temptation for me to say, yes, I'll have some more steak, mashed potatoes, and gravy. Or I could say, I'll have that boneless, skinless chicken that was cooked in water. Uh, right? But then there's also just a temptation for me to keep my paycheck and say, I'm going to spend this on the stuff that I want. And I don't want to be generous. And I don't want to give. And so... For me, um, this has been a challenge. This has been something God's been working on is just my level of generosity and feeling like, okay, this is, this is not about me and what I want to hold on to, but really like what is God doing in me? And, and really God's posture is, is he wants something for us and he doesn't really need as much from us. And so there is just something that we want to be talking about and thinking about. Um, our chairman of the elder board last week, Norm Alexander, shared with you that as, uh, as a church with our budget, um, we are right now $120,000 behind in our budget. Our fiscal year runs through the end of June. And so I just want us to challenge ourselves to step into this. Uh, one passage that, that is good for me to read and come back to is Isaiah 58. And this is what it says. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, meaning not doing what you want to do, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of, your, of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, the fact that you got here today, I, I'm not gonna pretend like that this is easy. You had to get your kids out and going this morning. It might be easier to stay at home and watch sports and get other stuff done, but you, you made it here today. And, and maybe this is not necessarily the thing that you wanted to do, but you did it. And so as you do that, as we discipline ourselves in these pieces of godliness, and God is calling us out to do this, that, that there is delight. Not only delight in, in what God sees, but there's delight for your own heart and soul. And so I want to just challenge you in that. I want us to challenge ourselves that as we come together, and this is fellowship, and I believe that fellowship means that every one of us has skin in the game. 
that we do this together. And so the ushers are going to come forward and we're going to receive an offering. And I just pray that, that God speaks to your heart and you do what you feel that God is calling you to do in this moment as we give. And so I'll pray for that in a moment. Um, also just want to let you know that our senior pastor, Eric, he is not here today. He told us last week, but he currently right now is in Greece and he's working with one of our missions partners, Greater European Mission, and just praying for vision for what God is calling us as a church as we're going out and sending out um, to do the work in, in Europe that God is calling us to do. So I want to pray for both of those things and then just a little bit more family business, some more stuff to just let you know that's coming up. So would you join me right now as we pray and receive our offering. Uh, Father God, thank you this morning that you're with us, that you are holy and you are awesome and you are mighty. And wherever it is that we are at and however we came in here this morning, uh, God, that you want to speak to us and that you want to reach to us and, and that we would delight in some of the things that are maybe a little bit more difficult for us. And so as we receive the offering this morning, free up our hearts. Help us to be part of what you're doing in this place and missionally as we go out from this place. And Lord, we lift up Eric and we just pray that we'd be hearing his vision, that you would be putting your vision on his heart. And as he comes back in the next couple of weeks that we get to hear um, what it is and what our calling is as we continue to move forward. And so, God, would you continue to work in our lives during this time. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. The lights are out, but they shouldn't be. They will be coming back on in a second. So in this dark, intimate moment together, let me tell you a couple things that are going on. This Wednesday, uh, we are doing our midweek Bible studies, um, and those start at 7 o'clock. Seriously, the lights should be on, but they will be coming back. There we go. We got lights. Uh, this Wednesday, we have midweek Bible studies, and uh, so we have the book of Zechariah. Thank you. I see that light. That's perfect. We got one light from a cell phone, but I think we're okay. Um, this Wednesday night, we have our Bible study series, uh, the book of Zechariah. My dad is going to be taking that through for the next few weeks, so come out and be part of that, or we also have Celebrate Recovery, or we also have CalFit on Wednesday nights, so that's just something you can be involved in. But an hour before that, at 6 p.m., um, we're going to have a big fun dinner together. And so come out to the, the tables, the picnic tables by the field. Um, one of our own, Jesus Victor, is going to be making a ton of spaghetti. And so it's a perfect combination. It's free. Come out, eat a whole bunch of pasta, and then go to CalFit, and it'll be a beautiful piece of togetherness that we'll all experience. So that's this Wednesday and going forward. Um, also want to let you know, this Saturday, um, we are hosting uh, the 6th Annual Disability Ministry Conference, and our heart is to care for those with special needs, both kids all the way through adults. And so to equip you as the body, all of us as the body, we want to invite you to come out. So it's Saturday. Um, because you are part of Calvary Church, if you want to be part of this and to be trained and to hear inspirational stories, um, that you can sign up and you put in the promo code STAFF. If you write the word STAFF in the promo code, you get to come for free. And so that's this Saturday. If you want to know more, Melissa and Lindsay will be out in the lobby after service. And then the last thing I want to let you know is in two Saturdays, we have something called Neighborhood. Neighborhood is our opportunity to be able to reach out to the community. We invite them to come here, and we do everything from taking care of their cars, fixing their cars, to washing their cars, to giving out food, to bike repair, um, health fair, all kinds of stuff. And there's somewhere that you can serve and that you can give and help be an extension of God's love to our community. So go on to our website, calvarylife.org slash good, and you can find out where you might be able to serve. And so we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's it. That's family time. Let me pray. Matt Doan's going to come up in a moment and read from the word of the Lord. So let's join together. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for our community here at Calvary. 
pray that you would be on the move in our hearts, in our souls. Lord, that our outward expression of what you are doing and how we are worshiping you is a reflection of what's going on internally in our hearts. And so would you this morning declare and show us who you are? Would you speak through your servant, Matt, this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning as well. If you have your Bible, let's open up to the beautiful gospel of Mark. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's page 28 on the blue or green Bible in the seat rack in front of you. So if you need a Bible, I encourage you to follow along with that Bible that's right in the chair rack in front of you. Page 28 in the New Testament on that. If you have an iPad or a um, phone, (laughs) I'm trying to think, what's the phone? Um, then you can look up the scriptures from there as well. As we look at Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Mark 3, verse 20. You guys are in for a treat. Not because of me, but because of this scripture. It's so good. Mark 3, verse 20 in... This is what it says. I'm reading from the the New American Standard Bible. It says, And he, and it's talking about Jesus, came home and and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebul. And he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he, Jesus, called them to himself and began speaking in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin, because they were saying that he had an unclean spirit. Then his mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside they sent word to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The grass withers and the flowers fade But the word of God endures forever. And so this passage from a couple thousand years ago, recorded in a home on the coastal region of the Sea of Galilee, it it matters. It matters. Now, I don't know what your emotion was as you first heard or read through this with me. But as I read this the first few times in preparation for sharing here today, I just felt sad. I felt sad. I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus is my king, my Messiah, my Lord, my leader. And to hear the things that are said about Jesus in this passage just it made me sad. 
Here's Jesus, fully God, coming into this world incarnate because he loves sinners, including me. And he has to endure accusations, criticism, and words like we just read. It just made me sad. And I was thinking through, you know, what are some of the passages in the Bible that you read them and you just think, ah, uh, only that wouldn't have been said. <laughs> I think of Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve and sin entering the world. It's a sad moment, obviously. As now everything changes, death enters the world because of sin. And that means things like disease and broken hips and the flu. Everything started there in Genesis 3. I think of later in the Gospels in Mark where you read about the crucifixion where Jesus is insulted as he suffers on the cross. And then I would say this passage is up there for me. It's just kind of a sad passage as Jesus is being criticized and accused of something that I believe uh, he wasn't. And so as you kind of take this in, maybe you feel a little bit of that lament Man, Jesus, you had, to, you had to endure a lot. And yet, in this passage, there's such treasure. There's such incredible nuggets of truth that I want us to uncover here today. And so let's start back in verse 20 with scene number one. And you have this idea where Jesus is walking into a home in Capernaum. It's on the coast, like I said. It's probably Peter's house. And he's being crowded in. They can't even sit down in a Jewish custom way to to eat their meal because there's so many people that want to talk to Jesus, listen to Jesus, or more importantly, be healed by Jesus. And so there's packed into this little home in Capernaum. So that's scene one, verse 20. Then the camera pans out. And you move from the coastal town of Capernaum and you go inland to Nazareth towards actually the west coast. And you see this little town of Nazareth, who Jesus came from. Remember the saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's like the part, if I pause, you like say something back, okay? <laughs> can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's, that was the saying when, when people were looking at Jesus. It was this small town, maybe as few as 70 people, probably not more than a couple hundred that lived in this town. And so here we are in Nazareth, and we read the scene of Jesus' family says his own people. Now, in the original language, this is referring to your biological family. I don't know if you call your family your people, but this is one of the ways that they referred to your family in the first century. So it says his own people. Some people, as they've studied this passage, struggle to say that this was Jesus' bio family that was questioning Jesus because that implicates Mary the mother of Jesus. And people want to look at Mary and be like, she's a hero of the faith. And so how could she be at one point in her life questioning who Jesus was? But the language is clear. This was his bio family, his biological family, including his mother. We don't read about his father in this passage, so it's probably most likely that Joseph, his father, has already passed away. We read about his mother and his brothers and included in that, under that umbrella, is also his sisters. Since Jesus had stepbrothers, stepsisters. So here you have this family, his own people, and they're wanting to take Jesus into custody. 
Again, the original language says they wanted to apprehend him, to grab a hold of him, to arrest him. Why were they wanting to do this? They're in Nazareth, which is 40 miles from where Jesus is in this little house. So why are they wanting to travel this 40-mile road to, to go grab a hold of Jesus? Well, it's because of this, as we read in the scriptures, is that they believed that he had lost his senses. Now, the scriptures don't tell us every detail of what they were thinking, his family. Maybe they were worried that he wasn't eating or, or sleeping properly because he had so much to do. Maybe they were worried the crowds were, were on him so much that it was beginning to mess with his mind. You remember reading back last week that, that Jesus had to get on a boat or had to go into a mountain just to even have any solitude time because the people were just constantly chasing him and after him. We don't know why exactly Jesus' family had come to the conclusion that he had lost his senses, but the truth is here in Mark 3. It's one of the reasons that I feel sad reading this passage. As Jesus' family had come to the conclusion that he was a lunatic, that he was crazy. So that's happening in Nazareth. So Mary and the brothers and sisters are now traveling 40 miles over to the Sea of Galilee to go grab a hold of Jesus. Okay, pause on that scene and now move back to the house where Jesus is trying to eat and beginning to share. We read there in verse 22, it says, The scribes came down from Jerusalem. So there was a delegation sent from Jerusalem to investigate who Jesus was. His popularity was growing moment by moment. People were coming from Jerusalem to be touched, to be healed by him. And so the Jewish leaders of this time said, let's send a delegation and let's investigate this Jesus guy. Now this delegation had a lot of authority and power. They had the rights to damn all of Capernaum. They could say, this is a heretical town and we are taking our favor away from this town Everyone in this town is in judgment. Well, this, this delegation had some power to them. So they come in, they picture them squeezing into the house. They're listening to Jesus. Maybe they're observing some of the, the miracles that he's doing as he's caring for people. And then they throw out their own conclusion of who Jesus was. And their conclusion is this, is that Jesus is a liar. You see, Jesus said he came from God. But they attribute what Jesus is doing to the devil. This delegation gives one accusation after another. The first is this, is that he's possessed by Beelzebul. Now, Beelzebul was a name that Jewish people called the pagan god Baal. It's like a nickname for him. But they had a little fun with this nickname. You see, the proper name among pagan worshipers was actually to call him Beelzebul. And so what they did is they changed it to Beelzebul. And it has different meaning in the original language. Belzebul is Baal, Baal, God most high. Belzebul is the God of the dun. Or the God of the flies of the dun. So this was what they were calling Jesus. Is that he was the God, and forgive me for saying this, the God of poop. They're saying this about Jesus. Their second accusation is this. Is that he cast, he, if he's not Beelzebul, the god of poop, then he's Satan himself. He has the power of Satan. He's casting out and sending out demons. 
by the power of the the Satan realm. So these are the two things that they're speaking and they're observing about Jesus. So you have his family traveling from Nazareth saying, this guy's crazy. We're going to go grab him and, and take him back so he doesn't cause any more harm. And then you have the religious leaders, this delegation, proclaiming that he's a liar. That he says he's from God, but he's really from Satan. Do you feel the weight of this passage? Do you feel the accusations that are, that are attributed to Jesus in this? His response is incredible. You see, Jesus at this point could have said, Hey, hey, hey guys, guys, we're getting a little carried away right here. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not God. And so if you're getting all bent out of shape and calling me Beelzebul and, and a demon of demons, like, no, 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 I, I'm just a man who's just trying to point people to God, like lay off of me. I mean, Jesus could have right then set the record straight, but he doesn't. He actually ups the ante <laughs> in what he is known for. Now go back for a minute. You've got to give the family of Jesus and these religious leaders a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. Because you have to remember in a first century cultural context, the God of Israel was so greater than anything else, you couldn't even write his name or even speak it properly. You had so much reverence for God. And here is this man now walking among you who is saying some crazy and incredible things like... Go from Mark 3 back to Mark 1. Let's just scan a couple places. In Mark chapter 1, you see Jesus in verse 15 saying this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. A couple verses down, verse 17. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 25. Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. Flip to chapter 2 of Mark. Says this in Mark chapter 2, Jesus speaking. He says verse 10 of Mark 2, but you so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This would be a double whammy for Jewish scholars because he's calling himself the son of man, which is a reference to Daniel, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, which was a prof prophecy for the Messiah. So he's calling himself the Messiah, and he's saying he can forgive sins. And then he keeps scrolling down to Mark chapter 2. He starts to do things on the Sabbath, which are just out of this mind for anyone that's a Jewish believer at this point. Chapter 3, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, it's incredible, his claims here. And so put yourself in the mind of Jesus' family, these religious leaders, he's claiming something that they would never allow a man to claim. And so it makes a little bit of sense that they're calling him either he's crazy, he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. He's out of, he's out of Satan. But then you keep reading and you see Jesus' response. This is amazing. Verse 23, he says this. And he called them to himself, and he began speaking to them in parables. This is the first parables in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 4, Jesus will refer back and say, I'm going to speak in parables to those who are on the outside who don't believe. To those who believe in me, I'll speak clearly. But to those who don't, 
I'm going to speak in parables. So he begins to speak in a parable. A parable is just a metaphor. Verse 24, kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. So this is more than the slogan you had on your volleyball shirt in high school. <laughs> like Jesus here is dropping some incredible logic. He's saying, you're accusing me of either being from Satan or being Satan himself, the god of poop. How could I be Satan if I'm here to defeat Satan? And then he explains in the second parable, verse 27. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Question for you. Who is the strong man in verse 27? Who's the strong man in verse 27? There's a couple of ideas of who it could be. This is who Jesus is talking about. The strong man is Satan. Jesus is giving a parable. He could have said, no, 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 I'm not God. You, you haven't mistaken. I'm just a nice guy doing some good things for some marginalized people. But instead, he ups the ante here. He says, how could I be from Satan if I'm here to destroy Satan's work? Satan is the strong man, and I am here to bind the strong man and plunder what he has grabbed from me, which is mankind because of their sin. It's a really, really powerful parable. As Jesus says, I am the stronger man. I am the stronger one who's come into this world to fulfill prophecy and defeat the evil one. I am the stronger one who has come to be light into darkness. I am the stronger one who is here to defeat death and ultimately to have victory over sin. I, Jesus, am the stronger one. Do you see how the bar's been raised? The religious leaders listening to this have nothing to say. Accusing him of being a liar. Family on the way, they're going to call him a lunatic. Jesus is claiming here to be the stronger one. Stronger than Satan. He ultimately is the Lord. Look at verse 28. In 28, he says, truly I say to you, this word truly in the original language means amen. Did you ever know that? When you say amen at the end of the prayer, you're saying this is true, or so be it. Amen. Jesus, though, is the only one quoted in the New Testament as starting sentences with amen. Not ending prayers with amen, but starting sentences. Because Jesus had authority. Jesus had the authority to say, amen, truly, what I'm about to say to you is absolutely 100% true. You can bank on this promise because it is realistic, it's reality, it is true, amen. And so Jesus says this, amen, all sins shall be forgiven to the sons of men. All sins, even he mentions the blasphemies that they utter. Even if a man says, hey, you're the God of poop. When he repents, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, forgive me. The stronger one has the power to forgive sin. 
Why does the stronger one in Jesus have that power? It's because of this. The stronger man allowed himself to be bound. It says back in the parable of 27 that Jesus is coming to bind the strong man and to plunder his house. But Jesus, in order to forgive sins, actually did the opposite. He became weak. The stronger one became weak on our behalf. The stronger one allowed himself to be bound. Bound not in a home, but on the cross. The stronger man allowed that because he knew that in order to have our sins forgiven, blood had to be shed. And not just the blood of any ordinary man or even a good man, but the blood of a God-man. It had to be someone who was 100% God and 100% man. Not a lunatic, not a liar. It had to be Lord. And so Jesus became the weak one. The stronger one became the weak one on our behalf. And he went to the cross. And I got to tell you what he did if you don't know. Turn to Mark chapter 9 from Mark 3. Go to Mark 9. Mark 9 verse 30. I'm going to give you a sneak preview of where we'll go in Mark. Mark 9 verse 30 says this. From there they went out. I'm in Mark 9 30. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. This is the stronger one being bound up. And when he has been killed, look at that last line, it's so good. He will rise three days later. Is Jesus saying this before the cross or after the cross? He's saying it before. Jesus is predicting his death that the stronger one will become the weaker one in order to forgive our sins. But that sin will not hold him down. Satan is not the stronger one because Jesus overcomes death and overcomes sin. And on the third day, he will rise again. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus predicted it, and then Jesus did it. I want to unpack that for a moment, but we have to look at verse 29 just for a a little brief time. Verse 29 is a verse that high school kids, when I was a youth pastor here, would always come up to me and be like, Matt, I think I might have committed the unpardonable sin. (laughs) And when I'd have a student come to me with this fear, one, it just kind of warmed my heart because one, it means they're reading their Bibles. Like they came across this verse. It's mentioned in the other Gospels as well. But it warmed my heart that, okay, they're reading their Bibles. Like, that's a victory for a high school student. Second thing, though, is it warmed my heart because I'd be like, you know what? The fact that you're worried that you committed the unpardonable sin is evidence that you have not committed the unpardonable sin because it shows a repentant heart towards Jesus Christ. And so what is God talking about? What is Jesus referring to here in Mark chapter 3 when he says these crazy words? He says, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. There's a couple of thoughts on this, and I'll try to make this as clear as possible, because I don't want you to tune out right now or else you could get confused. One is, is that Jesus is speaking directly to the religious leaders who are listening in that home. That he's saying, you know too much. You know the truth 
but you're shaking the fist at the truth. The Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart, and you're resisting it. And for that reason, you're turned over to the enemy. And you'll never have repentance, the forgiveness of sins. So the idea is Jesus is potentially speaking just to that generation, just to even those guys in that room. But here's a, a, maybe a more general thought. And this is generally true when you look through the scriptures. Is how is one forgiven of sin? How are any of us sinners before a holy God ever forgiven of our sins? The gospels tell us this. It's repenting of our sins, placing our faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord, the leader, the savior of our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He had paid the ultimate price for sin. And whoever believes and places their trust, their faith in Jesus is forgiven. Today and tomorrow and the next day 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 day for eternity. Once and for all, you're forgiven of your sins. Isn't that awesome? That's the truth. And yet, if someone rejects Jesus as Savior and Lord, that is not my deal. He was a liar. He was a lunatic. I, I cannot believe in him as Lord. Ultimately, they're shaking their fist at God. And they have to deal with the holy God in their sin. And they don't have the forgiveness of sins. Now, could they come to Jesus at any moment? Yes! There's a guy in our church, Locke McFarland. His dad was 99. And he was drinking the insure stuff. You know, like all you can do is like the liquid stuff. He was just about to die. And he goes, Locke, I need what you've been telling me. And he asked Jesus into his life as a savior and his leader, the Lord of his life. He became forgiven and cleansed. Even though he had rejected Jesus for decade after decade. None of us are beyond the forgiveness of God. And yet if someone rejects Jesus as Lord and Savior their entire life and they die, they're not forgiven. And so the impartable sin could be attributed to them. But here's the good news. All of you that are here, you're hearing that Jesus can forgive you of your sins once and for all. You can receive that message. It's not by, oh, hey, come to church 40 more times and and then you'll be good and you'll be forgiven. Or, you know what, make sure you do this, this, and this and then you're forgiven. No. Today, you can say, hey, in the past I thought Jesus was a liar. I thought he was crazy, a lunatic. But today I acknowledge him as Lord. And in that moment, you'll have complete and total forgiveness of sins. That's what I've done in my life. That's what so many of us have done in this room. It's changed our lives. And you know, the amazing thing is, is it changed the first family. Mary, and then these are artistic portraits of Jesus' half-brothers, James and Jude. They were totally changed by the resurrected Jesus. Mary is with the brothers when they come to try to grab Jesus. But then we see her later at the cross looking up at Jesus, worshiping, worshiping him as her Savior. We see James, totally callous towards God, wanting to grab him, take him away, silence him. We see James being a leader in the first century church after 1 Corinthians tells us he meets the resurrected Jesus and his life is changed. We see Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, writing a letter that's then published in the New Testament 
as he's also a leader in the first century. Their lives were radically changed. Here in Mark 3, they don't believe. They think Jesus is crazy. But later in their life, they do believe. And they're changed and washed clean. There's a a modern story of this too. And this is my friend Apollos. Apollos is one of our ministry partners here at Calvary. We support him on a monthly basis through your, your offering. Apollos has an incredible, incredible story. He lives in Niger, in Africa. I got to meet Apollos at the Habit Burger on Main Street, across from Main Place Mall. You know where that's at? Okay, stop thinking about it. Now come back here. I was eating the habit with Apollos, and he tells me his story. And literally, I couldn't even take a bite of my food. I was just captured by it. Here's a little bit of it. And he'll come here one day and visit and tell his whole story. But here's a little bit of his story of how his life's been changed. He grew up in a Muslim home in Niger, a small village, a farming community. When he was about 13, uh, a Christian came into his home, was invited into his home. And that Christian told his family about Jesus. His dad hated that name, Jesus, and told Apollos after the man left, you will never mention that name in this house ever again. And so Apollos, being a 13, 14-year-old, listened to his dad, but was also super curious, who is Jesus? He had been told that he was a liar, or he was a lunatic, or even that perhaps Jesus was a legend. That the things that had been written about Jesus had been changed. That there had been revisionist history that had changed. Jesus didn't really claim to be God. It was just changed later on. On a side note from Apollos' story, one of the reasons, though, that we can rebuke that claim is that the Gospel of Mark was written about 55 A.D. And there were many people who had been potentially even in the room with Jesus here in Capernaum who would have read the account of Mark just 20 years later and could have verified that was true. No, 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 that didn't happen. There was eyewitnesses both of believers and unbelievers. And so we can discount the fact that there's been revisionist history here. We can bank on what the Bible says. Lives have been changed, including Apollo. So he's 14, 15. He heard the name Jesus. He's out tending his family's animals at night. This is like just such a biblical story. Jesus shows up to him in a dream. He sees Jesus. He kind of discounts it, like maybe I'm tired or I don't know what's going on with me. Jesus shows up to him three more times. It says Apollos. So Apollos finds uh, that missionary, that person that had come into his family's home, finds the wife of that person and begins to say, tell me about who Jesus is. She tries to tell them, but they speak different languages, different dialects, and they can't understand each other. Have you ever tried that when you're speaking a different language with someone? You try to speak slower or louder, <laughs> like nothing works. So Apollos and this woman are struggling to communicate a really deep thing about who Jesus is. And then the woman prays. And when she prays, they begin to understand each other. Isn't this crazy? And she tells him about who Jesus is, that he's not a lunatic, he's not a liar, he's not a legend. Jesus is Lord. And Apollos believes. Then, as soon as she's finished telling him, they can no longer understand each other. (laughs) 
Paulus' life is changed. He's transformed. He goes home and his family finds out, discovers that he's made this newfound faith in Christ. And his dad says, I have to kill you. From a Muslim family, this is what we need to do. We need to kill you. Apollos' mom stands in front and says, if you're going to kill Apollos, you have to go through me. And so now Apollos' dad is in a tough spot. What am I going to do? He goes to the religious Muslim leader of his village and says, what should I do? And the imam comes up with an idea of make him your slave. And so that's what Apollos was for the next four years. Apollos was a slave for his family. Not a son, not a brother, but a slave. But through the power of a changed life, as he met the resurrected King Jesus, the Lord, Apollos' behavior and life and humility rubbed off on his family. And many now claim Jesus as their Savior. Just awesome. I'll have him come and tell you more later. That's just a little snapshot of his story. But what I want you to hear is this, is Jesus is still in the business of changing lives from the inside out. Just as he changed James and Jude, he's wanting to change you and I. You don't have to live in Niger. You can live right here in Santa Ana, Garden Grove, Fullerton, Tustin, Irvine. And so here's my question. What do you believe about Jesus? Is he a liar to you? Is he a lunatic? Is he a legend? Or is he Lord? I want you to wrestle with that for a moment. If you place your faith in Jesus today, or if you place your faith in Christ 40 years ago, or anywhere in between, here's the great truth, is that you are now brought into a new family. A larger family than you ever even hoped for or dreamed of. Look at the text here in Mark chapter 3 as it finishes up. Verse 31. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside they sent word to him, and called to him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Quick question, what is God's will he's referring to here? Well, you can read in John 6.40, it says this. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. So I want to be clear here, Jesus is not ruining the biological family. He's not stepping on that and saying, no more. But what he's doing is he's expanding who your family is as a follower of Jesus. It's the brother and sister that's around you. That's part of your family. Do you think about that on a daily basis? I have, uh, I grew up Assemblies of God. I don't know if anyone else did, but I grew up in that denomination. And one of the things about that denomination is everyone kind of culturally says like, hey brother, Hey, sister. And so I remember picking up on that, and still, like, it slips out to me, uh, even here as an adult. I'll be like, hey, brother. I don't really say sister. I think I should work on that. But But as I started thinking through this week, why don't we do that more? Why don't we look at each other not as competition or someone to get beyond or past in the parking lot? What if we truly saw each other as brother and sister? 
the family of God. If you had a terrible family in your bio origin, how encouraging to know that you have a larger family as you've been adopted into God's family. If you had an amazing family growing up, what a challenge for you to say, no, it's bigger than my nuclear family. I now have a larger family to be committed to and to serve. This is our call as followers of Jesus, those who have made Jesus their Lord. So here's what I'm going to do. Who do you say he is? Maybe you've never claimed Jesus as Lord. Make today the day. Maybe you did at one time, but you walked away. And you began believing a lie that he was a legend or a lunatic or a liar. But today, in this moment, the Spirit of God is working on you to say, No, I believe Jesus is Lord. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. Just in this moment, be bold. We're family. I want you just to stand up, and I just want to pray for you. If today you want to make Jesus your Lord, just stand up right now. If today is the day, Jesus is my Lord, stand up right now. It's awesome. Keep standing for one moment. Be bold. You already did it once. Keep standing. I want to just pray for you. And brothers and sisters that are around you, I'm now equipping you and challenging you. Go up to your new brothers and sisters. Pray with them. Encourage them. You're in this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the courage of those that say, Today I claim you as Lord. God, may your spirit fill them to live the life you've called them to live. To point them to the truth that their sins are forgiven once and for all. Finished on the cross. Jesus, equip those around us, brothers and sisters, to invite them into the wonderful family of God. And those of us that are already part of this family, Lord, challenge us. We need to step up in our obedience to truly be brothers and sisters. Grow us in this by the power of your spirit. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we begin in worship, there's communion on the sides. Feel free to grab communion at any point. If you'd like to pray with someone, we'd love to pray with you during this time. But let's stand right now and let's worship our Lord. joyful day when we receive new brothers and sisters in the family of God. Uh, like Pastor Matt said, this time is uh, as you would see fit. So I echo that encouragement uh, for the people that stood up uh, around you uh, who received Jesus as Lord today. Encourage them. Pray with them. Uh, just use that time. And uh, Once again, there's prayer points around and there's communion stations here. Uh, we're just going to sing a couple songs together. So use this time as you, uh, as you need it. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me.
My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart.
from your love, Lord, nothing can separate us from your love, from your love, nothing can separate us from your love, Lord, nothing can separate us from your love, from your Sisters, what a joy it is to worship with you today. But our worship doesn't end here, does it? It only begins here, really. It launches from this place out into the parking lot, into the neighborhoods, into your home, into your places that you are tomorrow. Let's be worshipers there as well. A couple of things to remind you as you head out is that we have some great things we'd love for you to get connected to. Disability conference coming up next Saturday. You can get more info in the lobby. Our man camp's coming up, our men's retreat. We'd love for all guys to be there, middle of May. You can find out more info in the lobby. And then neighbor goods was mentioned earlier as well. It'd be a great day to serve together, to represent Jesus Christ on this campus. We'd love to continue to pray for you. God is doing some great things in people's lives right now. Don't miss it. So I encourage you, if you need prayer, come on up. As soon as I say amen, run up here. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you because... We're the family of God. (laughs) Let me pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing even in this moment right now. You are the God transformation. (laughs) And we celebrate that here today. Lord, may we walk out of this place truly as brothers and sisters, ready to be on mission to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Say hello to the people around you before you leave. Have a great day.